Religious Beat Podcast. What's up, everyone? It is Matt, and as always, I am joined by Chris. Hey, Matt. Nice to be here. So, we are back again, and I've decided, you know, we've been doing this podcast for a while now. We're getting our groove going. Yeah. But, you know, we got to figure out, like, what exactly is religion of speed? So, uh, me and Chris were talking about it, and really the thing we want to focus on is the thing I think both me and you enjoy in the automotive world is kind of more grassroots, entry-level stuff. Yeah. Like entry level motorsports, uh, I I really like it because you know we've we've both uh, engaged in those, right? Um, and it's kind of a way that anybody can get into motorsports without paying an arm and a leg, and you're actually getting out on the track. You're not just buying a ticket to to watch the pros do their thing, right? Yeah, I mean watching the pros, you know, that's kind of how all of us started, probably. You know, watching NASCAR, F one. Or if you're younger, maybe you grew up watching drifting. We yeah. weren't that lucky. We had to <laughs> go search for that. But really, where we're at and the things we know about is all the grassroots side of things. Everybody I know is does grassroots racing, you know, or, you know, any sort of car culture thing. We don't want to leave out, you know, if, if your thing is you just want to build a cool car and go canyon runs or go out to meets and stuff, that is perfectly cool, too. Like... Oh, yeah. Running the canyons is one of the best ways to spend the weekend. Right. I mean, honestly, that's one thing I've loved since I've come out to Colorado is every... If you're driving in the mountains, point to point, every trip is just a beautiful drive through curvy mountain roads and pristine scenery. Right. Uh, Elevation robs a lot of power from you, but... uh, Yeah, well... That just gives you more, you know, you you have to work around that more. And some of those roads, you maybe don't want a ton of power anyways. (laughs) Maybe that wouldn't be the best thing. <laughs> That's true. It might have saved my life a few times. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, so I think, you know, going forward and uh, with Religion of Speed, we're going to be focusing on, you know, motorsports, racing, any sort of auto enthusiast stuff that is low cost of entry, uh, easy to do. And, you know, I, I want this show to be pretty much, if you've never worked on a car before, hopefully you'll be entertained, you'll get some tips, you'll be inspired to go out and do it yourself. Or if you're like us and you've been playing with cars for a long time, then you'll also learn some tips, get to know some of the local stuff around here in Colorado or even nationwide. You know, we'll, we're not going to leave out nationwide stuff and get, you know, get inspired to go out there and do this, connect with people. I mean, there's, there's three main things that I enjoy out of racing even at grassroots amateur level and that's the driving aspect yeah the uh engineering side of things you know building your cars and then just the camaraderie of you know going to the track all my best friends are car guys and most of them i know are from going to the track (laughs) you really do make a lot of good friends at the track and it's cool how when you drive in different disciplines how you meet just completely different groups different crowds right you know like the the groups you meet at the drift events are going to be you know a lot more lax and uh you know they're they're typically the kind of people you would party with right um and you know in the autocross uh you you see a lot of people who are really serious you know that's not to say that there's not relaxed people on at autocross and uh very serious people when it comes to drifting but it's interesting to see the the types of people that each discipline draws right um and it's really a different crowd i haven't been to a rally event but i'd love to see what that crowd's like from what i understand i mean the only rally event i've actually kind of been to and 
I don't know. I guess it counts as rally is the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. Oh, yeah, that counts. And uh, that is just a party. Because <laughs> you're just in the woods, drinking beer, watching fast cars go by. So we're going to do the Pikes Peak Hill Climb this year, right? Yeah, well, hopefully <laughs> this year it's actually open to spectators. Yeah, let's hope so. Some of the best drivers from around the world trying right? to beat that record. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. I know I know. Um, Reese Millen's dad, Rod Millen, held a record for the longest time. Yep. Then it was taken from him, and then Reese Millen actually got that record back. But I believe it's been broken by now. Oh yeah, it's been it's been shattered <laughs> at this point because when Reese Millen uh, or Rod Millen rather was racing, that was all dirt. When Reese was doing it, it was half dirt, and now it's all paved. I so really... the speeds have just like just gone up in crazy amounts. Yeah, that's um, that. I mean, that would really change things. It is interesting when you watch those videos of somebody making a paved run. I think I watched Sebastian Loeb do a full paved run, and man, that guy can drive. Yeah. That was really fun to watch. If you watch that video very closely, I'm on the sidelines. Really? Yeah. The one but, when he's driving the Pujo? Yeah. But okay. it, it's literally like only reason I can find myself is because I know exactly where we were. Otherwise, it's just <laughs> a, like I think a little red smudge on the side of the road. <laughs> we're we're going to have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe put a screenshot on the Instagram. <laughs> I think I posted it on Facebook years ago, so I'll have to dig that up and find it. That sounds awesome. <laughs> So, yeah, that is the new direction we are going with this. And, of course, I do want to hear uh, the feedback of everybody that's listening. And at the end of the show, I'll give you the contact and stuff. But you got to stick around to the end of the show to get that. That's what they call a hook. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to start talking uh, uh, today about the racing industry and stuff like that. Um, and our racing that we're doing. Uh, unfortunately, it's a little slow right now in the racing industry. Everything's kind of ramping up to, to summer. Uh, but the one news article I did want to talk about because I thought it was really cool and just shows this manufacturer's like dedication to the tuning scene is uh, Honda releasing the Type R crate engine. You can buy a new Type R engine now? Yep. Brand new Type R engine. And it's a crate engine. It's meant to be run out of the box. It comes with an ECU wiring harness uh the engine and everything you need to run it on you know it, it's pretty much like bolted up to a transmission provide power provide fuel and you're ready to go oh that's awesome so it's it's a valve covered oil pan all the accessories yep yeah and I, I just think that's extremely cool like crate engines have been haven't really been something that the import world has really gotten much of you know, I, I think yeah. there were some aftermarket companies back when the B series was like super popular that were offering. Actually, wasn't it? No, it wasn't Edel. Was it even Edelbrock that offered a, a B series crate engine? Um, I'm honestly not sure. I think I, I think I remember hearing something very briefly about being able to buy some of the new K series, but like yeah. when I say new, you know, uh, 20 years old at this point, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> but I think it was the K20A, the the JDM uh, K20. Um, and you know that was that was a great motor, but you know having a turbocharged engine you can buy right now, right? Um, and you know there's even uh, rear wheel drive conversions for these. Yeah, you know I I don't know because there's the cake swap kits for Miatas. Yes, and actually that same company makes one for E30 BMWs now too. Really? Yeah, and they make one for the 240 as well. Oh, do they? Yeah, there's a there's a K swap kit for the 240. 
man, like the K series is quickly becoming a very popular swap, which makes sense. Yeah, I don't blame them. It's, you know, all the fun of the F series, but you can actually find them, right? <laughs> so I don't know if the Type R engine bolts up to those or not. I wouldn't I wouldn't imagine they would change it, but at the same time, I know Honda's a little weird sometimes with that. Yeah. They but, swap the intake and exhaust side when they switch from B to K. Yeah. So as long as, but I mean, as long as the bell housing is the same, you should be able to figure, you know, some stuff out. But uh, yeah, so it's a limited edition from Honda Performance Development. So a couple things. You have to be part of Honda Performance Development's program, which means you have to be pretty much a motorsports team or you have to apply for, you know, if you're making a, probably like a SEMA car or something, you could probably apply. But so that kind of sucks. And they're only making a certain number of them. But the fact that the manufacturer at all is doing this is, you know, the fact that Honda was like, yeah, sure, we'll release a crate engine is, I think, really cool. I think that's neat, too. And maybe uh, hopefully we'll see that with other manufacturers. I mean, how awesome would it be to be able to buy a crate engine of that that twin turbo three liter that Nissan's putting in the new Z? Right. That would be and they already have that in production for the Infinity. That would be incredible. Right. Um, and then I could put it in an old 300 ZX like I've really, really want to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, that would be the perfect sleeper, too. It's like, oh, so it's a three liter twin turbo. Right. It's not that three liter twin turbo. <laughs> To be fair, the VG, you can get like 700 horsepower out of those old 300ZXs. Like, on um, the stock internals? I don't know if it's on stock internals. Like, you might have to upgrade pistons and rods, but the blocks and everything, they're super stout. And that's that's pretty cool. And, uh, I, you know, I've seen a dyno chart for one of those at 600 plus. And, yeah, that's that's nothing to sneeze at at all. No, that's a lot of horsepower. <laughs> but the internet has kind of, like, warped our brain into thinking anything less than 1,000 isn't much. But... Yeah. Anything over 500 is a good amount of horsepower. <laughs> As someone who dailies something with 200 and really enjoys it, the idea of having, you know, more than double that, right? That that would be fantastic. I mean, <laughs> uh, I, I if I could get 400 horsepower in my BRZ, you know, just enough to scare me every time I drove it. Right. That would, you know, it would be an incredible car. And you know, it already is. I love it, but with 400 horsepower, I'd be embarrassing Porsches. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, even the Fiesta, I think at 300, I think I could probably embarrass a bunch of Porsches, but... Oh, yeah. The 400, actually, 400 would be too much for that car. <laughs> That's front-wheel drive. At that <laughs> point, it's a drag car. Yeah, you need drag slicks to put it down for <laughs> Right? <that. laughs> These little tiny wheels. Uh, but, so this is a little bit outside of the realm of completely grassroots stuff, because I'm sure it's... I'm sure it costs a pretty penny. So they haven't released a price? No, I didn't see a price, but... uh. You know, there's a few dealers on on the website. We'll include it in the show notes. If you if you're the type of person, and I know some people out there, like guys at K Series Parts, you know, that want this kind of thing, and you don't know about it already, you know, you can follow those links and and figure figure out uh, how to buy one. Because I'd like to see that. Yeah, that would that would be really neat to see. I'd like to see somebody do something really cool with this, like drop it into you know an old EG hatch or a CRX. Yeah, that exactly. That would be really fun. Yeah, like a, I think a CRX would be perfect. Yeah, you know, it's the combination of the kind of, kind of the original Honda that made Hondas cool. Yeah, and yeah. then the culmination of Honda's performance, you know, offerings. Because that's the, that's the most uh, powerful, I mean, it's the most powerful four-cylinder Honda's ever offered for sure. Oh, this Type R motor? Yeah. It yeah. might even make more than all their V6s. Yeah. How much does it make? Just over 300? 
Yeah, so that stock block, the Civic Type R engine, or stock everything, produces 306 horsepower at 295 foot-pounds of torque. And, and I think that I think that's more than the V6s. Yeah, I think the I think the most I've seen, I think the like sport oriented accords when and the you know the later iterations of the J series. Yeah. I think some of those touch 300. Yeah. But I mean, even if it's the same, right? <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. I think it's cool that it makes a little bit more power than torque because I feel like if you saw this displacement on a Subaru engine, you'd see a little bit more torque than power. Yeah, and with the with the Honda, you want to be able to wring its neck. You want to be able to rev it out. Right. I wonder if that was a consideration. Uh, I do think the the Type R is a little more torquey, but I wonder if they took that into consideration that hey, Honda fans they like to rev out these engines. Yeah, because like my Fiesta, that doesn't rev out. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. my old WRX ran out of breath at six thousand RPM. Right. Yeah. So they could easily make a torquey motor, but I wonder if they purposely tuned it so that way it wasn't. I hope so. Or, you know, at least still rung out high end horsepower. Yeah, yeah, because the you know the that was the most fun part about if you've ever driven an old uh, an old B sixteen Honda like a Civic Si from ninety nine or two thousand, those engines will rev out to nine thousand RPM and just thank you for it. Right. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, they'll. I think they redline at around nine, and they will just keep going. It's wild. I I've never actually owned. Well, that's a lie. I did own an old Honda, but it was a CRV. So that, I mean, doesn't really count. Um, <laughs> you, although, t- you talked about wanting to build one of those. Yeah, I do want to build one. But at the time, like that, that one was stock. It wasn't a, a fun Honda. But I've never owned a fun Honda. And I, I kind of want to at some point. I loved my little Civic. Um, it's responsible for, you know, uh, basically all the, is responsible for me getting into the hobby. Yeah. And the industry. Also, a lot of speeding tickets and wrecks. <laughs> <laughs> But, but I mean, uh, it sounds like a Honda. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like a Honda owner. Yeah, I was, I was, <laughs> I was that obnoxious Honda owner. Yeah, but you know, it was a blast. I made a lot of noise, destroyed a lot of tires, blew up two motors. Sounds about right. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, Hondas are it, the amazing part is that Hondas are still like a very important part. Even that generation of like '90s Hondas are a very important part of the aftermarket and racing scene. Yeah, you you see, and honestly, it's kind of funny. I'm I'm more excited now when I see an EG hatch than I am when I see a Skyline. Right. You see a lot of EK Civics, but the mm-hmm. EGs are getting so old. Right. And when I see a clean EG, you know, it, there's some nostalgia because I used to have one, but it's it's impressive. It's like, hey, you've still got this running. Right. So yeah, like like I said, outside of. Uh... That, as far as, you know, amateur racing stuff, I'm sure there's a lot of more news out there. I just didn't see it, but I did want to highlight that. And then as far as racing goes, uh, I wanted to talk about my experience, karting. Yeah. So I don't know if we brought this up even last uh, episode. I may have mentioned something right at the end there. But I started uh, doing a kart racing league with my buddy Nick. And wow, kart racing is way harder than I thought. (laughs) Yeah, especially because you said you're used to a front-wheel drive chassis, and now you've got to not only get used to racing tires, but you have to get used to rear-wheel drive on a vehicle with no suspension. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty much, as far as driving, it's about as far opposite as you can get. (laughs) Like, this still has four wheels and a steering wheel. Yeah. I guess maybe off-roading, but as far as road racing. So, yeah, I showed up and... I'm going to have an article out on religionspeed.com detailing a little bit more, but pretty much I showed up and I was like, I'm either going to be really good at this or really bad. (laughs) I was really bad. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, you were right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, it's the, I should probably mention, it's the Unser Karting track up north of Denver there. A lot of guys listening to this, if you're in Denver, probably know of Unser Karting. So their carts aren't the fastest. It's an indoor track. You know, they're like the professional carts. I got a buddy who bought like a, a pro cart and he's like, oh, these things are way faster than the <laughs> rental carts, which I believe. But these things, are, they're pretty quick. And they, the thing is though, I kind of like the fact they don't have as much power because they punish you way harder for messing things up. Like uh, if you get on the throttle too hard coming out of a corner and you spin. More if you like scrub too much speed or if you drift at all, those engines just bog. They don't have enough power to spin the tires. So if you mess up, you're bogging down, you're losing time. Yeah. And then it's not like drifting would save you a lot of time anyway, but if you could at least keep the slide going... You could salvage it or use it as a passing maneuver. Right. But you just have to be textbook. Yeah, pretty much. You got to take your line. You got to break when you should. You can't get on the throttle, you know, no more aggressively than you should, but as aggressively as you can. Yes. Yeah. And I've noticed that for me driving front wheel drive cars, my right foot or my gas pedal foot is like an on off switch. Yeah. Yeah. Same for all wheel drive cars. Yeah. Yeah. Getting that that feel down and the the rolling into the throttle is it took a while but luckily uh so the first two weeks i was running like at best mid 31 second laps uh and the track record there is 28.4 or something like that 28.8 i think that's the all-time track record on, on a good day with heat in the tires right so i mean i guess i'm not that far off but when you see the it's a 30 second lap there's not yeah that's a short lap so luckily this last time out, I was able to get it down to 30.08, I think. Nice. So okay. Almost into the 29s. And this was your third session? Yeah. Out of how many total? Uh, so we it's three races per night. Okay. And this was the third night I was there. So okay. it'll be nine races. Okay. I mean, yeah. So you've still got a lot of time to shave even more time off. You've made a, a fair amount of progress already. So yeah, that's pretty awesome. But the the thing, and I knew this was going to happen, and I kind of wanted to bring this up because if anybody out there is getting into motorsports and is getting frustrated with like, I can't get faster, I can't get faster, use your resources. And like, I, I was watching videos on karting. I was I, I found a, a guy on YouTube that was doing that track on certain track, trying oh. to get like the track record. Yeah. And he was, he was clicking off like tw- mid 29s constantly. So I was just studying his line. Yeah. And... Then I was also watching the other people there, and once again, the camaraderie thing of racing, uh, which unfortunately right now with this is a little messed up because of COVID. Yeah, it's sad. Uh, that, that really is sad because now if you find the camaraderie, you're likely around a bunch of people who don't care if you get sick. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what happened to you with drifting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> At Unser right now, they have the tables all separated, so it's only every other table. Yeah. And you pretty much got to stick to your table. They don't, oh, let, they don't okay. let, like people like intermingling and stuff like that. Yeah, that is sad. So, because I want to talk to people more, like, hey, you're fast at this. What are you know? Give me some tips and stuff like that. Yeah. So luckily, I got a little bit of that, but mostly it's just been online resources that I've been using. But for me, it's just you know, you just you follow your your basics, you do your research, and then eventually something just kind of clicks. Okay. And that's kind of what happened last week. If you're going to your first track day, no matter where it is, you're probably pretty nervous. Yeah. You know, so I got, I know what I'm doing when I get to the, the cart track now, 
you know, I got more comfortable. My helmet isn't fogging up anymore because it's a little warmer, <laughs> which is nice. And then, yeah, just followed the basics. And I was like, oh, okay, it clicked. I know what I'm doing now. Yeah. I can at least get a decent lap time. And now I can work on more. Yeah. Yeah. You can polish your line just, you know, because it, it's always an incremental effort. Right. You know, it, it's not something that you can snap your fingers and make yourself faster, make yourself better immediately. Um, you know, it, it takes a little bit of dedication, takes a lot of dedication and, uh, you know, just polishing what you can when you can. Right. You know, it's uh, it's kind of like how they built the Porsche 911 over 65 years, you know, <laughs> yeah, since, since 1965, similar. you know. They just incremental changes, and when something doesn't work, you walk it back. Yep. Yeah, you walk it back, and then, I've, you know, that's a very good analogy because then sometimes you have big improvements too. Yeah. You know, going from non-turbo to turbocharged engines was yeah. a huge improvement in the in the Porsches, you know. And going to all-wheel drive was a huge improvement, which some people don't like the all-wheel drive. Yeah. But, but luckily, there's still a two-wheel drive model for you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that, that's a good analogy. It's just, it's incremental, and I see too many people... Like, especially at track attack, because it's such a low entry, low barrier to entry racing. Yeah. That they come out and, you know, I want them to be out there, but then I see them getting frustrated. I've seen people show up, not do very well, get frustrated, and then I never see them again. Yeah. And you have to kind of remember that, you know, it's like you were saying, you're going to be nervous when you show up in your first day because you're like, I don't know where to go for tech inspection. Right. I don't know which line I'm supposed to be in. Oh, I didn't bring the tape to put the numbers on the side of my car. You know, um, but at the end of the day, you're once you get more comfortable with that stuff, uh, you focus on why you came there, right? Which was to drive. Yeah, yeah. It, it's hard to drive properly because when you when you're driving fast, you almost got to you do it unconsciously. You know that state of flow, basically. Yeah, yeah. You're not you're not focusing on what you're doing. Ideally, you're focusing on what you're about to do. Right. That that was the biggest thing with drifting, you know, starting to get that down is, you know, you're, you get focused on maintaining the mechanics of doing the perfect slide and that makes it harder to focus on where you're sliding. Yeah. You know, um, and once you get the hang of that, you know, and, and that was the big, that's a big thing is when you, for any, you know, uh, up and coming drifters out there, um, you actually have to turn your head to look out the side of the car. Right. You know, and that's something you, you're you looking forward, which to you is either left or right. <laughs> right. But, you know, that's a thing. That's a very small thing that people don't. I mean, people don't even keep their eyes up when they're like driving, let alone, yeah. <laughs> you know, actually turning your head sideways. Yeah. Wearing a helmet, which isn't always the easiest. Yeah. You don't always have the great visibility there. Right. So, but it's things like that, that like until you get more experience, until you get that flow, until it just that becomes natural. Yeah. Like you said, if you're worrying about, oh, my helmet, I can't turn my helmet very well if I'm drifting or like, oh shit, is this the right helmet? Or, you know, is this guy, what's this guy doing? You know, until you get like comfortable in your setting, then you're not going to get that flow. And you're just, you got to get over that stuff first. Yeah. You're going to get frustrated. You're not going to be the best driver out there your first time out. Yeah. But you're not the best at anything the first time you do something. Right. You know? Even if you're a prodigy, you know, everybody has rough edges to smooth down. Right. And, um, you know, if that's, if you're looking to get into the sport and really enjoy it long term, sometimes you're going to have a bad day. <laughs> so basically the reason I bring up the, the carding thing is, well, twofold. A is to promote the website and the articles I'm writing. So uh, I started a series called Path to the Podium, which is basically 
my experience trying to go from like very, very grassroots racer to maybe something a little more. Nice. Yeah. Maybe, you know, I, I'd like to be something maybe a little more amateur motorsports type. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe on a team or something. Maybe even semi-pro. Maybe. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that that's going to be, I'm going to be chronicling my journey through that and the things I learned. And the karting thing is I'm, I'm learning a lot and hopefully I can pass some things on to the listener or viewer or reader or however yeah. you want to word it. And yeah, hopefully you get something out of it because I'm learning a lot from karting and hopefully that's going to transfer over to track attack. Yeah. You know, I think learning different disciplines, like even going drifting, I think would teach you, you know, something like, you, oh, heck, if you go out and you do drifting and then you're in a race yeah, and you get a little sideways, yeah, you're comfortable doing that. Yeah. And you're not as uncomfortable getting to that limit, you know? Right. Because, you know, um, it, when you're driving a car, they all have a tendency to to break traction a certain way. That's their characteristic. Once you, if you're pushing them, you know, without um, without purposefully breaking a traction, right? You know, the the car when you push it over its limit, some tend to understeer, some tend to oversteer. And you know, if you're pushing towards that oversteer line, if that's the way your car drives, that's where you need to be is right on that line of control. Right. And you to to stay there comfortably, you can't be afraid to exceed that limit. Um, that's part of the reason I, I learned how to drift is because I was on a track and I wrecked, um, doing, uh, you know, grip driving. Yeah. I got sideways and I lost it. And, you know, after that I was like, okay, I see the hole in my, in my technique. I see the issue. And, uh, I got rid of my WRX and got a rear wheel drive car. (laughs) You you dove in like head and both feet first somehow yeah. you're just like yeah okay well, i guess i'm doing this now yeah yeah it's like you know i, I love the wrx but it, it's like you're saying the throttle control is on and off switch right and um if you're uh if you want to learn that fine control having front engine rear wheel drive is is great for that yeah um because you've got that yaw control and it's not as snappy as going with a mid or rear engine setup yeah, I, I I'm kind of worried. Like I I want an MR2, but yeah. I've seen too many things with MR2s <laughs> that snap over steer. Yeah, and I know people <laughs> like I know people that really like them, and they claim it's overblown and stuff like that. Yeah, but, and that's true probably if you're a good driver. But if you're an amateur driver and you're not used to rear wheel drive, I think that's when it gets you. Yeah, and you just have you just have to be careful, you know. Yeah. And those SW20s. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were pre pre ABS and pre right. pre traction control, um, but yeah, you're right. You could get into a lot of trouble. Um, yeah, because when a mid engine car starts tank slapping, that's hard to control. So uh, I'd rather learn in something like your BRZ than yeah, you know. Then hopefully you can you know transfer that knowledge to something like an MR2 and stuff like that. Yeah, I, my friend keeps talking about buying an MR2, and I keep saying, you know, I'm not mature enough to go mid-engined yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as, as cool as it is, I'm not, you know, I'm not there yet. Yeah. And, you know, once I, uh, you know, I wouldn't mind bigger power in a front-engine setup. Yeah. Um, a five O Mustang would be quite a bit of fun. Like a new five O Mustang? Yeah, like the new ones. Okay. I, or like a, you know... Vanilla Ice 5.0 Mustang. Yeah. Is, that, is that what they're called? <laughs> well, I just always think of, uh, in the music video, he had a drop top Fox body. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's funny. So that's always what I think I guess of. That, I guess that was his thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the new one, that new Coyote 5.0 is, is fantastic. I mean, it loves to rev out. Um, 
and you know it makes torque at low rpm too um you know when i've driven the uh the camaro uh the the ss yeah you can tell with that push rod engine it does not want to rev yeah but it also just doesn't need to no (laughs) (laughs) it just makes power down low and that's all you need yeah you've got as much power as you could want um but that mustang engine is it feels more modern you know when you're driving for sure i mean it technically is yeah it's got cams above the head (laughs) instead of in the block yeah it has four cams instead of one right but i mean you know I'll, I'll always give props to GM for making the LS engine as good as it is. Yeah, and and that's been another thing, kind of kind of like the Porsche 911, where you know it's it's technology that shouldn't work in the modern world, but because it's been so refined over so many decades, right? It works, and it works well enough. That's why the LS is swapped into everything. Yep. Yeah, it's a it's a great swap engine. Uh, to go back real quick about the 50 Mustangs. Those have been out for a while now, right? Yeah, they. Uh, I think they switched to the 5.0 in either 2010 or 2011. Okay. And they got independent rear... Oh, no, that was 2013. That's when they switched to the 5.0. Okay. And then the, the uh, 2015 is when they got independent rear suspension. I'm just wondering if some of those early 5.0s are starting to get you know, kind of cheap. I wonder. That's a good question. And with the solid axle, it'd be great for drifting. Right? Yeah, I just... Mustangs never really held their value all that well, unless it was a super special edition. Yeah. So I know uh, like the SN95 style Mustang, the new age Mustang, if you will, those things are getting dirty cheap now. Yeah. And the Fox bodies, the vanilla ice Mustangs, they're going, they're going up, aren't they? Yeah. They're yeah. getting expensive now, which sucks because that was kind of like the best Mustang for like, because it was the smallest and lightest. So if you yeah. want to build a drift car, road race car or something, that was kind of the one to go to. I heard some drifting events actually banned it because it rolled over too much. <laughs> I heard back in the day that like they were banning them, but I've I'd never actually heard why. I, I heard it was because of rollover, but that was that's you know third hand, so I'm not yeah. sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I grew up going to the drag strip, and you know there were, every other run had a fox body, right? Yeah, the fox body was fun because. Uh, it was actually, I think because the chassis twisted so much, it would <laughs> yeah. maintain traction. Like it'd keep the rear tires nice and planted and the yeah. front end would just twist. Yeah. It, it really seemed like all the fastest Mustangs were just like, they'd launch and the front end be like 90 yep. degrees separate from the rear. But <laughs> yeah, the passenger side just comes off the ground and the driver stays where he is. <laughs> yeah. But they were fast as hell. Yeah. Yeah, they were. And you're right. They used to be like $1,000 Fox body. Yeah, for a I, good running one. I almost got one in high school. We just didn't because it was a claptrap. But, you know, yeah. other than that, like, yeah, that was almost like my first car. And my f- budget for my first car was $1,100. Yeah, see, that's amazing. And for $1,100 now, you couldn't quite get an SN95. Maybe a V6. Yeah, maybe uh, a clapped out V6. Yeah. Convertible. Automatic. Yeah. <laughs> all, all of the bad things. Yeah. <laughs> you can get the chassis, though. Yeah. Get you, get you into like you can say you have a Mustang, right? And then the people will see it and be like, "No, no, you don't have a Mustang." <laughs> it's like that Z3 that keeps coming into the shop. Oh God, <laughs> that thing! And the owner's really proud of it. And you know, Z3s are fun, but he bought the the four cylinder one, and he's trying to make it fast. Yeah. And you know, I'm trying to be nice. I didn't want to tell him. It's like if you want to make it fast, the best thing you should do is just get a different Z3. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm never one to discourage people from 
the cars they like or for, you know, modding cars or being in the, the car scene, you know, I don't want to discourage people, but sometimes it's like, you got to know that you just don't have the right chassis or you don't have the right engine. Right. It's like, you can play around with this. Like if, if you had that Z3, he's like, oh, I'm just going to tinker with it. You know, I think it's fun to tinker with. Yeah. Cool. But if you're like, nah, I'm going to make this fast. Well, I'm going to stop you there. Yeah. Scrap it. <laughs> yeah. Just start over. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you just go, go buy a 2.8 Z3. Yep. Or if you can afford it, an M. Right. And then you're going to have something that's fast out of the box. Yeah. And you can make it quicker if you want. But the, uh, the four-cylinder model, I think it's a 1.9. I haven't. I honestly haven't even driven one of those four cylinders, but I'm no. told they're very anemic. Yeah, that's what I've heard too. Um, but my old 2.8 Z3 was was quick. Yeah, it didn't have a lot of top end, but it had a lot of torque. And the Z3 is a really cool chassis because you've got the the E30 suspension in the back and the E36 uh, suspension up front. Oh, I didn't know they did that in the Z3s too. Yeah, and then the, and if you get the M, you've got the E46 motor. If you yeah. get the uh, 2001 or 2002 which you know had unobtainium low production numbers. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, I fell into that trap when I was young of, you know, oh, I want to make these fast, but it's like sometimes you just got to you got to cut your losses and sell that car. Yeah. Buy the fast one. Like the one, the one thing that I didn't take to heart when I was young, but I, I do now is like, if you're going to do it, buy the fastest version of the car that you can afford. Yes. You That's know, really good advice. You should definitely buy the, the, and you know what? The fastest version may not be in your budget, right? but if there's a mid range version, you know, don't, don't settle just because you want something that looks like what you want. Right. It, and it's just going to be a lot easier to get, you know, let's say, Let's say somebody wants to get a Fiesta. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, and they're like, oh, I'm going to get the three-cylinder turbo base one, and I'm going to tune that. No, just <laughs> stop. You're going to spend more money trying to make that thing as fast as a Fiesta ST. Right. Then you could have just bought a Fiesta ST. Yeah, and, and if you don't have the budget for the Fiesta ST, maybe look at a different chassis. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's kind of, it's funny. It's a, it's a little played out, but in the car world, the Miata is always a choice. Right. <laughs> um, and, and they're usually inexpensive and available. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, right now the NAs are going up a little bit, but now the NBs are cheaper. Right. And, uh, you know, after that, the NCs will be cheaper. It's constant production. So there's always going to be a Miata out there for you. Right. And, um, you know, there's if you don't have a lot of money to put into it, um, that's a great choice. Yeah. Yeah. And Miatas are always, always great beginner cars. Uh, because they're easy to work on, uh, parts are plentiful. There's a huge knowledge base. The yeah. aftermarket's huge. They're not that expensive, still relatively. Yeah, they're not as cheap as they once were, but uh, nothing is. No, <laughs> no. We were talking about the other day. Just the the prices of every used car is just going up, and it's ridiculous. It really is, um, and it's sad. But you know, at this point, we're talking about relative numbers. <laughs> True. And I think just the cars that we want, you know, are just getting older and rarer. You know, yeah. there's there is a generation of car out there that we it's super cheap. It's just kind of meh. Yeah, but you know, maybe it's just meh to us because we grew up in the '90s in the golden age of import sports cars. Right. So our standards are pretty high. I do feel like there there was like a a bad era of like 2000 to 2000 like eight or something. Yeah, when thing before the uh, first recession 
caused everybody to restructure. Yeah. 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 I could, I could see that. Yeah. I mean, especially if you look at some of the domestic stuff from that era, like, uh, the Impalas and the, right. All, uh, pretty much everything made by Buick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There, there was just a, there was a period of time where cars just got kind of boring. I feel like, yeah, there were, you know, you could always point out some cars, you know, throw any era that were cool. Yeah, there's there's always something. Right. But usually when it's the only thing in that era, you're gonna pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> so we're already running a little long, but I did want to talk about all of our project cars. I like that. Because, you know, we're car guys, we have project cars, and I think we've mentioned them on the podcast, but we never really introduced our project cars and what they are. Yeah. So you got a couple cars. Yeah, um, I mean the the car right now that gets the most attention from me is uh, is my 240, um, which I've I I bought you, that. You probably should clarify 240 SX. That's true. I should, and, and you know that that's a funny thing with uh, generations of car guys. Yeah, you know if I meet someone who's uh, you know over the age of about 45 and they say, oh, I used to have a 240, I pretty much assume they're talking about a Z. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody around my age, I'm like, okay, you're talking about an SX. Right. Yeah, yeah it is very generational there. Yeah, and it's funny. They both had the same displacement motors, yep. and that's where they both got their names. Um, Back when Nissan used to actually follow that. Maybe maybe we'll get lucky this time. Yeah, I know. I keep bringing that up. Yeah, it's, it's a sore spot for me. <laughs> it may, it's, it hasn't happened yet. We're, right. we're not for sure getting a 400Z with a three-liter engine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what what have you done to the 240 so far? So um, so far, uh, see, I bought it back in 2015, um, and it had blown out shocks. So coilovers were the first choice. So I uh, I was shopping around for different brands of coilover, and the BC looked looked right for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love those coilovers. Yeah, I was a thousand dollars on Amazon, and they've I've, I dailyed the car with them. Um, when you adjust the dampening down, they're they're great. They really absorb absorb impacts. Um, for for a car with coilovers, if you're if you're somebody who's driven one of those, you know, there's a certain way of driving you develop driving around on one of those yeah you know you don't you, you enter parking lots one wheel at a time <laughs> right <laughs> um, but as long as you follow those rules it it, it it runs great um i had to redo the the all of the rear control arms because once i lowered it my camera wouldn't go into spec Yep. so i got some spl rear upper control arms and um I had uh, I have ISR um, rear traction and rear toe arms. I purchased them before they changed their name, so they say ISIS on them. <laughs> <laughs> and they uh, even sent out stickers. <laughs> the stick, the, putting the sticker on the car would be pretty interesting at this yeah. point. Yeah, I, I, there would be somebody around here that'd see that sticker and think you are actually part of ISIS, yeah. the terrorist organization. My, my mom asked me if I was part of ISIS, <laughs> like as a legitimate question. <laughs> Because I had ISIS stickers on on other things, things other than my car, because I didn't want to drive around right. with ISIS stickers on my car. And it's like, yes, I'm part of a underground terrorist organization, just putting stickers on yeah. on things. Yeah, that's I how see. we stay in hiding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But they had to change their name after the Paris attacks, so now they're ISR. Which, if you're a you know a Nissan or 240 builder, you've probably heard of them. You probably have some of their parts on your car because they make the little things that nobody else makes. Yeah. Like if you want to do a Z32 conversion on your car, they make the brake lines. Okay. That run, you know, from the 240 to the Z32 calipers. Yeah. Um, and they also make cheaper versions of stuff you can get elsewhere. Um, and, and even though it's cheaper, 
Um, I haven't had any reliability issues with them. No. Um, they've run pretty well. I'm running ISR hubs on my car too at, uh, at this point. And, um, I, I've heard some people have issues with them, but I, I haven't. And hmm. I am by no means easy on my rear hubs. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there's always that parts thing of, I mean, no matter your parts guy, you know, it doesn't matter how good the part is sometimes some of them are bad and sometimes people install them wrong and yeah be a lot of factors yeah you can look at anything on any website and you're always going to find a one-star review right (laughs) (laughs) so Um, you got suspension stuff um upgraded brakes right i did i i put z32 brakes and to do that i had to do a five lug conversion Mm -hmm. so i had to remove the knuckles all around which is not that fun when you don't have a lift but it is doable (laughs) Um, and then we, we rigged up, uh, we didn't have a hydraulic press, so we used a gear puller, a bench vise, and a few old um, brake caliper pistons as spacers, oh and we managed to get the hubs out just I'm fine. I'm kind of shocked. <laughs> it, it worked. Uh, I did cut myself on a brake dust shield, but yeah. but it worked. Well, that's that's all that happened. That's pretty good, though. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it's it's your car when you've got your own blood in it. Right. Your blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> yeah, I mean, every car is going to get you at some point if you work on it. Yeah, you're going to bust your knuckles, uh, especially if, you, if you're if you working at home in your garage and crawling around underneath it. Right. Um, the fav- My favorite mod I've done to that car, though, hands down, is the rear differential. Yeah. Because that's when it really became a drift car. Yeah. Um, which I, one do you have in there? So I have an S15 helical differential. Okay. Um, yeah. Which I got lucky enough to find one that was already swapped into the S14 pumpkin. So all it was bolt in plug and play for me. Nice. And those differentials are great. There's no clutches to wear out. They don't lock up quite as tight as the viscous. Okay. But you know, if you kick the clutch hard enough, you're going to go sideways, whatever direction you want. Yeah. Um, and they stand up to a lot of abuse. Um, so I'm a big fan of them. Now the, the S15 gear set inside the S14 housing, S14 housing is a little smaller, right? It is. It is. So I have to be a little bit more on it, changing out that fluid. Yeah. Just because um, there's not as much in there at this point. Yeah. And I was looking into the aftermarket diff covers, but, uh, you turned me on to, uh, what was that gentleman's name? Oh, uh, oh geez. I can think about this. The diesel guy, um, Gail Banks. There we go. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. Gale Banks, yeah. If you haven't seen Gail Banks' video about why aftermarket differential covers are garbage, go watch that. That man is very passionate about this. <laughs> yes. he. I've never seen anyone speak so well so or so passionately about fluid dynamics. <laughs> right. <laughs> he, he cares a lot. Um, and, yeah, he, he makes a great case for um, not, not compensating for aftermarket differential components by just adding more fluid. Yeah. Um, because it's important that everything gets lubricated properly and that the differential doesn't aerate the fluid. Yes. Because then you're reducing the effectiveness of that fluid and you're going to overheat and you're going to, you're going to blow up components. Yep. Um, yeah. Aeration. I mean, that's the reason most, uh, Nissan CVTs fail. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Because, at least the first generation. The, the tip I always heard was you got to put it pretty much at like mid, slightly above mid level. Yeah. That's the best spot. But if you underfill it, the fluid foams up, it overheats, and your clutch packs explode. If you underfill it, it'll, it'll aerate? Yeah. Wow. If you overfill it, it'll foam up and <laughs> overheat, and your clutch packs will explode. They're just like a, it's just so picky. <laughs> no wonder you always want that factory fluid when we're working on this. Yes. Factory fluid. Get the setting right, which is why also Nissan did away with the dipstick and did the 
the system, you know, like where you fill it from underneath and you set it at a certain temperature. Oh. You know, uh, like kind of, and you set it kind of like a differential where you, it okay. just drains out the fill plug. Yes. And then you're set when it's at a certain temperature. Yeah. They did that because it's a lot more accurate way of uh, setting that fluid level. And that's what, that's the main thing probably that was causing big issues with the, the CVT failures. Wow. That wasn't related to people putting the wrong fluid in it. <laughs> yeah, because Nissan now has two different types of OE CVT fluid. They've yep. got the NS2 and the NS3. I think it switched over in 2013. Yeah, they, yeah, the NS3's blue now. And honestly, I haven't seen as many problems with those. I'm sure there's transmission shops out there that are like, oh, no, they're still garbage. <laughs> but personally, I don't see as many issues. Uh, anyways, tangent aside, uh, your 240 brakes, diff, uh suspension but no engine mods right um no just you know it's got an intake on it um and i did do the gk tech radiator fan okay um which uh i had to do because my electric radiator fans cables became tangled up in my mechanical radiator fan (laughs) and they just destroyed each other one day um that (laughs) That will happen (laughs) well i pop the hood i'm like why do i smell coolant i I pop my hood and i just see my my clutch fan twitching i'm like that's (laughs) supposed to be turning (laughs) jump in the car and turn it off um and you know that that fan ended up cracking so um i didn't want to install um a used plastic fan yeah because 90s japanese plastic doesn't hold up well to really anything yep (laughs) so um i I, uh, that radiator fan the gk tech fan though is great and anyone who is out there shopping on injuku for gk tech parts um i recommend buying those straight from gk tech injuku's great um they're the only source of isr parts but if you want a gk tech part you can get it cheaper straight from gk tech oh yeah um i uh i found the hub centric rings that i needed when i got my new wheels which i guess that's that's another mod too um i got a set of rotor grids and put them on there yeah i haven't Um, i've yet to see the car on the wheels actually it's still up on jack stands with the wheels on it in my garage and i uh i i took apart the front to uh i took the fan off and the intake off to do some some basic services and i just haven't finished yet i understand yeah (laughs) (laughs) totally understand but when i get it together Hopefully we'll be doing a clutch and mm-hmm. uh, and then it'll be ready for drift season. Yeah, so you'll probably see it in, on video on the Religion of Speed YouTube page at some point in the future here. Yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, so you got the 240 and then the BRZ, right? Yes, and my BRZ is bone stock. Um, it's still got the powertrain warranty on it. So I'm trying to put all of my, my energy, my mod energy into the 240. Yeah, that makes sense. You... Any car guy needs at least one car that isn't messed with that's reliable. Yes, because you are going to break your stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> and if you have a truck, that's another great thing. Uh, if, you, if you're if you a gearhead, uh, you know, you're, you're someone who likes to tinker a lot, um, having a truck is just fantastic. I need a truck. <laughs> <laughs> I need a truck that runs better. Well, that, yeah, <laughs> you need a truck with brakes. That's true. That's true. That's another thing maybe we should do at the shop. Yeah. Well, you definitely yeah. need to get brakes in your truck, especially if you're driving that stupid uh, F or <laughs> BRZ around in the snowstorm. I am making a lot of Jeep owners angry. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that does it for your, your current uh, yes, lineup, I, right? Yeah. My, my Miatas, I, I, all I've done for that is services and keeping that on the road. Yeah. Um, I, I don't count the Miata as your car right yeah. now. Yeah, it's, it's not. It's a thousand miles away, thirteen hundred yeah. miles away. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, filling, you have it, but it's slowly filling up with water. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
We talked about that you your Miata last podcast, I yeah. think. And yeah, it's slowly filling up with water and us having to go rescue it at some point. Yeah. Some at some point. That's gonna be a lot of mildew. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna get a few mothballs. <laughs> uh I, I know you've got Iggy, right? Yeah, so I got a, a couple cars currently, which is probably the, the the least number of cars I've owned in a long time. Uh my my max I've ever had at one time was five cars. Wow. Briefly. Because I was like trading some cars and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but right now I have, so I, I name all my project cars just because I don't know. I'm, I like giving them nicknames. So I have Iggy, which uh, if you watch the Religion of Speed YouTube channel, you will have seen some of. It is a 1990 or 91. I don't even remember what year it is. Uh, <laughs> four-door Toyota Corolla that I picked up for $250. That has been very slowly and very budget-mindedly being transformed into a fun car. I don't really have any specific plans for it, like any certain class of racing. Uh, originally, it was going to be a rallycross car. Then I decided I kind of wanted to stance it out a little more, make a street <laughs> car. Now I have a nitrous kit I might be throwing on it. Is that but, what that nitrous bottle is for? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll talk some other time off uh, Mike about how I acquired that uh nitrous kit which makes it sound like i stole it <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> makes it sound a lot worse than i'm sure it is yeah no <laughs> let's just say i got a really good deal on it and i don't want like people swooning in um but yeah so that thing it's it's basically stock and it's yeah the the mod list is long on that because everything's kind of custom okay but it's just running the stock 4af motor or 4af e i guess because that one is fuel injected uh, five-speed manual. The has four hundred thousand miles on it. Wow. Yeah, just a few miles. Yeah. <laughs> so I put a new clutch in it, resealed the engine, uh, put some custom coilovers on it, some custom uh, painted wheels, gutted everything I could out of it. Uh, yeah. The goal right there is just kind of make a fun, dick around with car that doesn't cost me an arm and a leg. What kind of harnesses did you put in there? Um. I want to say I went with the Corbeau ones. Okay. Yeah. And they worked out pretty well. It was easy to install. Yeah, it's a three-point thing. So the uh, shoulder harnesses kind of merge together at a certain point to okay. one to one anchor point. Okay. Um, and then I just followed the instructions. So I've seen people, when they do that, they'll like mount the belts to where the rear seat used to mount. Yeah, but doesn't that mount it too low? So... For this car, it does because the car is so short and small. Yeah. But I guess the way Carbos said to do it was to mount it to the upper mount for the rear seat belt. Okay. So which is on like the C pillar on this car, like where the retractor would be. Yeah. Okay. Which made it nice and like level. Yeah. Um, and I do got to tweak that a little bit. The mount for the like I guess you call it the driver's side lap belt is not exactly the most secure thing right now. <laughs> um. <laughs> Well, you don't need a secure seatbelt. It's like it's, it's got pretty, it's pretty much got an M10 holding it in right now. You know, okay. like a yeah. little tiny bolt. Yeah. So I need to figure I need to <laughs> fix that. But you know, work in progress. But yeah, I just wanted to. I've always liked budget builds, mostly because I'm always been broke, which is yeah. you know why we're making this podcast and why we're doing the things we're we're doing. Is what was the saying you came up with the other day? 
if we can race, so can you. If we yeah. can afford to race, yeah, so if we can, can afford to race, so can you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like I work at advanced auto parts. Right. Yeah. It's not a lucrative job, unfortunately. No, it, it's not. You know, it has its own set of rewards, um, discount parts being one of them. Right. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, I get to be around the hobby. Yeah. And, you know, being in the industry, there are other things you can do to make more money. Yeah. But if you love being around cars, you know, going to work doesn't feel like work every day. Yeah. At least not as bad. Yeah. 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 So, the, the, so Iggy was my interpretation of we don't make money, but let's have fun. Yeah. And $250 off Craigslist you, and it's a manual. Right. I mean, that's amazing. So in the one video, I, I kind of did a rundown of the price and I think it, I got like a, like 1200 bucks into it total right now. Only 1200 Yeah. Yeah. And, and you could basically take it to the track right now. Yeah. It'd be a great little autocross car. I mean, yeah. it wouldn't be a good drag car probably. It's not <laughs> going to be very fast. But then again, thing only weighs like 2000 pounds. So yeah, I, I'm kind of curious to actually get that thing wrapped up. Yeah. Sometime, <laughs> maybe in the future. <laughs> it actually like, you know, take it out and test it because I want to see what it'll do. With just very little horsepower. Yeah. I mean, if nothing else, you'll have a lot of fun slinging it around. Right. And you said you've already got a set of coilovers on it, right? Yeah. So I just basically made my own coilovers out of a pair of factory replacement struts and those like cheap eBay coilover sleeves you can get for like a Honda Civic. Yeah. That's sweet. So you can still adjust the ride height. Yeah. Yeah. And actually it doesn't ride as bad as I was expecting. I was expecting this like... I don't know if it was you or Steve or somebody at work was asking me what the spring rates were for those coilovers. And my answer was yes. <laughs> yes, it has springs. <laughs> yes. I don't. I can confirm that. There's no, there, nothing on there indicating what the spring rates are. But yeah, no, it's actually not too bad right now. There, a lot of improvements to be made to that car if you actually want to make it competitive. But the point is to get out and have fun. Yeah. My car to actually go out and compete with is Jelly Bean which is my 2014 Ford Fiesta ST. Yeah. And I named it Jelly Bean because it looks like an angry jelly bean on wheels. It does. Yeah. It's even bright and colorful like a jelly bean. Yeah. It lo- I want to eat it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that thing, it, it's mostly stock, honestly. I've done a, you know, I ripped the muffler out and just straight piped that because so it's louder. Uh, it's got a downpipe. It's got a intake on it. Um wheels and tires and i remove the rear seat because i mostly use it for hauling shit around yeah and it's a little lighter and that's it that's all i've really done to it it's not really that modified but once again it's kind of like the brz where i don't want to yeah. mess with it too much right at least not until you have another another thing another reliable car to cruise around in right you know i i want my brz to have 400 horsepower yeah um, someday <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd love to get the you know more power and stuff out of the fiesta but there's there's like this bell curve of the more you well it's not even a bell curve it's an exponential curve yeah <laughs> of the more you modify a car the less reliable it gets yeah yeah until you get to the point where you're looking at a complete race car with a digital dash and, <laughs> right and you know removable steering wheel and you've got to have somebody help you push it to the line because it can't drive at under 20 miles right. an hour has a freaking uh like multi-pack clutch on it and stuff yeah it's actually fun when you're at, um, you know, I know we were talking about grassroots racing, but I used to go to Formula D, rode Atlanta once a year. Yeah. And that was always cool because you'd be walking through the pits because the pits are just open. 
you'll be walking through the crowd and all of a sudden you'll hear a loud noise behind you and you turn around and there's a viper trying to get through the crowd <laughs> and it's like you know a competition drift viper with two turbos and you're like oh let me get out of the way for this thing yeah this thing can't <laughs> idle very yeah. well like, yeah. it can't just like putz around <laughs> yeah I, I i don't i don't trust that not to just fly through me <laughs> <laughs> i've only driven one car with like a a crazy clutch setup on it like a multi-disc clutch yeah and yeah it was it, it's not it wasn't the worst but man to have to drive like daily drive something like that yeah, would like just in, be horrendous like in traffic yeah yeah <laughs> oh god i can't even imagine yeah. Yeah, I, the fiesta is nice and i'm sure the brz is nice too like the clutch is just it's easy it is these cars are easy to drive it is you know there is a weird thing about the brz's clutch where the engage point just keeps moving that is weird. It is. And it depends. Uh, like, once you drive it, you'll get used to it. And it kind of, from what I understand with my experience so far, it it's based on how much throttle you're you're about to input or you have been hmm. inputting. But um, it, it's a weird kind of floating setup. Um, I'm, I'm told that you can, there's a clutch return spring that you can remove and it's supposed to improve where the where you feel the engage point see I haven't i've tried heard of people yet. removing clutch return springs and stuff but every time i've like tried a car like that it just does not feel right to me personally yeah and i've got a buddy who has a brz too and actually he has a brz and an s14 and, <laughs> and he, he uses my s14 as the guinea pig whenever i do a mod he's like hey how'd that how'd that work out oh, okay i see how it is yeah and, and but his uh I, he's modded his brz and and i use his brz that way so he's uh, he's like you should remove that clutch return spring. I'm like why don't you why don't you remove it? Yeah, you you do it first. Yeah, you you tell me how it works out. Yeah. <laughs> and did he like it or no? He hasn't yet. Oh, I think okay. he's nervous about it too. Yeah. So um, but he has a sweet exhaust on his car. It sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. He did the unequal length headers, so oh, he's got a go. little bit of rumble. See, I know that's a de- divisive thing with the BRZ people, but yeah. to me, a Boxster like a Subaru Boxster engine just you have to have that unequal length header. Yeah. And I'm, I'm told, what is it? You lose some top end. Yeah. I think you may lose some torque or something, but it is very little. Yeah. From what I have seen. And it's um, worth it to have the blah, 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 blah sound to me, especially yeah. on a street car. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. If it's a race car, you know, by all means, right. You know, it could sound like a kazoo as long as it beats everyone. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, actually my other, other car, which isn't really a project car. So I didn't bring it up, but, uh, uh, I guess it's kind of a project. Uh, Isabella, which is my Subaru Outback. Yeah. It's a 2005 Outback. Okay. Something like that. I can't keep the track yeah. of the years of my cars. But uh, that's another one I bought for yeah. 300 bucks. Wow. I didn't know you got them that cheap. Yeah. And well, did, didn't need head gaskets? Didn't need head gaskets. Okay. It needed, so it was setting the cat code and it needed a power steering pump. The okay. Guy, the guy was going to turn it in. The dealership was pretty much just going to be like, yeah, we'll take it, but yeah. we're not giving you anything for it. So I got it for dirt cheap, but that's the, because I need to put a cat on it. The first thing I did was get rid of the equal length headers and get the earlier unequal length header and put that on there, which ran into a whole bunch of problems adapting that to that chassis. Oh, really? I think it's mostly because I used a bunch of cheap Chinese parts and nothing wanted to fit together. <laughs> yeah. I blame that more than, <laughs> <laughs> more than anything. But you know how to fabricate, so that it doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> so it's fine. But, uh. And then I was I was going to cut the mufflers off that and put some sportier mufflers on it, but then the girlfriend started driving it, and I was like, "You probably don't want this yeah. car to sound like yeah. a little race car." <laughs> Show up to work every day, <laughs> <laughs> right? 
So that's kind of where that car is sitting right now. Uh, I w- might do something with that in the future, but I think that's just going to be the girlfriend's car. It's I mean, kind of our adventure mobile right now. Yeah, and it's important to have that out here in Colorado. Right. You know, the ground clearance and just, you know, being able to, you know, like, oh, okay, I don't really care if I'm going to go two miles down this dirt road. Right. Because the paint on this hasn't been great for years. Yeah, no, it's kind of banged up. It, it's been much of life in Texas, so the whole, like, roof is, like, all the clear coats peeled off of it and oh, stuff. From all the sun. Yep. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, we use that for, like, camping and stuff. I can actually sleep in the back of that car. That's what's really cool about the Outbacks. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. They, they realized that's what people were doing with them, and there's a quick drop seat release lever in the back of the new ones. Oh, is there? You literally can just hit one lever from the back hatch, and the the back seats will just flip down yeah. flat immediately. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, because it's actually kind of a, well, it's not a pain, but you got to, like, do multiple steps and walk around the car and stuff to fold all the seats down in, in mine. Yeah, and that's the way all cars were for a long time, and right. still most Subarus are, but this one... You know, they're like, oh, people are going to sleep in this. So they they redesigned the suspension to give you more room in the back hatch. And, yeah. And then added that little lever. Nice. Yeah, because, like, well, for people listening, I'm 6'3". So that's why it's impressive that I can sleep in the back <laughs> of this car. But even then, it is a tight fit. You know, we get a little, like, thin air mattress in the back there. So yeah. you have about, when you're laying there, you got about six inches of clearance to the roof sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's not the worst, but personally, I like doing that setup better than sleeping in a tent. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in a metal box instead of a fabric box. (laughs) And in places where there's things like mountain lions and bears. Yeah. I trust the metal box (laughs) a little more. (laughs) Well, we are running a little long. So before we uh, end here, I want to do every week, every, well, not week, we're bi-weekly. Every episode. Yeah. I want to talk about a way for the people listening to get out on track and have fun, or at least, you know, go to car events, something local or nationwide yeah. that's affordable, you know, that will get you the experiences you want. And this week I want to talk about track night in America. Okay. It's not the cheapest motorsport out there. We'll, we'll get into some really dirt cheap shit in the future. But uh, if you've ever, for out here, if you ever want to drive on like High Plains Raceway, they do open track days and stuff like that. Okay. But they're pretty expensive. Uh, track night in America, though, that is, they, they pretty much make deals with tracks to make their entry a little bit cheaper and to make their entry requirements a little less, too. So, Track Night in America is sponsored by SCCA. I don't know off the top of my head if you need an SCCA membership. Okay. But even then, like a weekend membership is like 10 bucks. Oh, that's not too bad. Yeah, for like a, just a short one. I think the year one is kind of expensive, but if you're only doing one track night, or track day just get the weekend one yeah um you know but pretty much just show up with your daily driver it's just got to be safe you know so no cords showing your tires <laughs> your battery needs to be strapped down that kind of stuff and you gotta have a helmet you gotta have a helmet which they're probably a little more lenient on the restrictions on helmets uh the uh snell certifications are updating right now the interesting snell you know, that's your auto racing certification. Yeah, yeah they, where they're actually fire retardant. Yeah, and they, yeah. the 2020 regulations, they also, like, they have to incorporate hookups for Hans devices now. Okay. Uh, before you didn't have to have that, but now you have to. Uh, just, you know, more, better, safer. But um, I think the Track Night America, you know, you can use a little bit older Snell helmet, and you have to be 16 or older and have a valid driver's license. That's it. 
And it's still kind of a coned autocross setup, no, right? No, Track Night America is you're driving on the full course. Wow, for and you said 150 bucks. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've seen anywhere from 100 to 150. I think it depends on the track a little bit, but which any track, I mean, for 150 bucks, I mean, that sounds high, but you know, some of these tracks are so expensive to run. Mm, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm told that if you wanted to just rent road Atlanta for a day and just keep it to yourself, it would be $15,000. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's asking a lot to keep it to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure even a track day there though, I think high planes normally it's like 150 for a half day and 200 for a full. Okay. That's not too bad. Don't, don't quote me on that though. Yeah. Um, and I know somebody's going to quote me on that. (laughs) And I know IMI is a hundred bucks for a day. Yeah. Yeah. So but what Track Night America also does, which I like, is it is geared towards people who have not done uh, HPDEs and haven't really done track days all that much. Like yeah. You could show up and be experienced and just go get some track time if that's what you want. But generally, there's SCCA guys there that will kind of show you the ropes. And you know, if you need help, they're there to show you through the process. And like we yeah. were talking earlier with what I was talking about carding, you know, that, that first day you show up, you're nervous, you're, you don't know what you're doing. Having somebody there, you can ask questions, if, you know, that is designated to ask questions. Yeah. It's always kind of nerve wracking to go up to another competitor and, you know, they're maybe changing their tires. You don't want to bother them. Yeah. But, you know, there's people there to actually like show you the ropes. That's nice. And getting out on a full track is a completely different experience than doing like an autocross or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're not, it's a lot easier to get lost in cones. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, especially when you're just looking out at a big, you know, if you're in a parking lot, you're looking at a big asphalt expanse. Right. And, you know, you're it's harder to plan your lines. Um, road courses are a lot of fun, though. You know, it, it's a kind of a lot of the same thrill you get when you're on the street, except it's even better because there's no double yellow lines you can't cross. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, you, you can kind of, it's a lot easier to visualize that line. Yeah. Um, and it, it feels more natural. Yeah, um, for sure. And it, it just, it's also just more thrilling. You know, you get some more speed, you know, there's the more risks of kind of running off and stuff, but yeah. Also most tracks, especially I think the ones they do it, for track night America, you know, you're not going to run into like a track that has a wall right next to the, you know, something they're going to try to keep it safe and, you know, tracks with big runoffs and yeah, that kitty litter that'll stop you really fast. Yeah. (laughs) So if you're interested, I do know track night America does one for high plains raceway here in Colorado, but they are, it's SCCA nationwide. You can check it out on just tracknightinamerica.com and see if there's anybody at your local track or they're going to your local track rather. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds like a lot of fun, and and you know maybe uh, we're gonna keep talking about these local events. Um, you know, if you're in the area, and uh, we're headed to an event one day, we're definitely gonna let you guys know. Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah, and you can come out and uh, and and talk to us. Yeah, and if you want to talk to us before we do stuff like that, and you know because COVID might put a little dampener on that still, um, we're gonna start accepting emails from our listeners. Oh. I don't, know if, I don't know if that's a good idea. Uh, you know, <laughs> we, we we could get some hate mail. Maybe. Yeah, but you you don't you don't make it to success without stepping over a lot of hate letters. True. No, <laughs> I, joking aside, everybody that uh, all the interactions I've had with everybody that's listened to the show, it's all been very great, and I appreciate every single person that listens. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, if 
we didn't have listeners. We'd just be talking in an empty room. Yeah. Which, don't get me wrong, Chris, I love talking to you. Yeah. But, but, uh, <laughs> but, but it's, it's nice, nice to know other people are listening yeah. to. There's, some, there's something more out there. Right. And you know, if, if we get something wrong, tell us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're accepting feedback. If you got questions you'd like us to answer or would like to see if we could answer. Yeah. Or if, you know, even if you just want to give a shout out to some people who helped you out, the shop that helped you out, the parts that you just are really impressed with, you know, whatever it is, the things that keep this amateur motorsports grassroots stuff rolling, you know, you want to give a shout out to somebody, uh, email us at contact at religionofspeed.com. And in the subject line, just put feedback, question, or shout out so I can sort through it. And uh, who knows, maybe you'll have your question read on the show. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. And, you know, we, I'd love to, we would love to plug any shop that is helping out grassroots raisers. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, a, it's an expensive hobby and any help you can get, uh, any professional advice you can get, it goes a long way. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if you do want to give a shout out, let's try to keep it positive. I don't, you know, I know there's a lot of shops out there that unfortunately don't do good work or there's companies out there don't make good parts or there's people in the racing community that are assholes. But you know what? <laughs> Let's just ignore them and let them fade into the bushes themselves. Yep. Let's highlight the people that are doing the good stuff. Yep. Because those are the people that, um, you know, they're the real unsung heroes. So it's nice to sing their name every once in a while. Yeah. So once again, you want to get a hold of us? That's contact at religionofspeed.com. And uh, Chris, I think we're going to wrap it up for the day. All right. Yeah. This was a good one. Yeah. This is a long one. I got some editing to do. Uh, as usual, I want to thank the band Wheels for the use of our theme song. Uh, you can check them out at wheelstheband.bandcamp.com. Unfortunately, they haven't been touring uh, here in Colorado just because of COVID, but they did release a second album, so be sure to check that out. Support them. And I think that's going to do it for shout-outs for now. All right. So thanks again for uh, listening, everybody. Like I said before, couldn't do it without you. And until next time, peace. Have a good one, everybody. 